Welcome to Open Banking Expo Unplugged, bringing you the brightest minds in open banking, open finance and beyond. Hello and welcome to another episode of Open Banking Expo Unplugged, the podcast series brought to you by Open Banking Expo. I'm Ellie Duncan, Head of Editorial and Broadcast, and as usual, I'm your host. And today I'm delighted to be joined by two guests. Uh, I have with me uh, Zhao Chen Zhang, who is the Global Head of Innovation and Go-To-Market at AWS, and uh, his colleague Erica Salinas, who is the Principal Technical Leader uh, for Web3 at Amazon. Now, um, Zhao Chen may be familiar to some of you, having spoken at Open Banking Expo Europe in Amsterdam last September, uh, and he was also a speaker at our virtual central bank digital currency event, which was back in March last year. Uh, So in today's episode, we're going to be delving into the world of CBDCs once again, uh, as well as talking about kind of digital assets more generally. Um, Zhao Chen and his colleague Erica will also be discussing some of the CBDC exploration projects that are currently being undertaken by central banks and where these projects might end up taking us. So welcome to the podcast, both of you. Thank you. Happy to be here. Well, um, Zhao Chen, let's, let's start with you, uh, if I can. Um, as I um, mentioned, you may be familiar to some of our, our listeners, but to those who haven't seen you speak before at our events, can you tell us a bit more about your role uh, at AWS and, and what it involves? Uh, thank you, Ali. Thank you for the invitation. My name is Xiao Chen Zhao. I'm the Global Head of Innovation and Go-To-Market at AWS. In my role, um, I'm helping public sector financial institutions uh, to leverage emerging technology uh, to address their technology-related issues. And uh, we focus on helping them to leveraging Web3 to reinvent the future of money. And we help them to uh, managing the new risks, uh, including the you know risks associated with climate change. We also help them to just... Uh, implementing their supervision-related role and uh, leveraging SupTech. And uh, so th- these are very exciting challenges that for us, and we definitely see our customers worldwide really are um, in the forefront to uh, try to identify the next generation solutions to improve the public service delivery, and we are very excited in supporting them. Great. And, and Erica, let's um, hear from you, if we can, a bit about your role at Amazon. Um, what is it that that involves? Sure. Uh, so I serve um, as a Web3 technical leader at Amazon. And so in that role, I help support blockchain and Web3 related projects across the company. Um, so, of course, this includes Zhao Chen's team and their focus on digital assets. Um, and then I came into the space prior to Amazon, having worked in a mix of engineering and consulting Um, But my most impactful work really was researching the intersection of technology and financial inclusion, uh, which included time in Kenya studying the M-Pesa system. And so that's kind of really what led me to blockchain. And I joined a blockchain startup in 2020 and dove into that work um, from an enterprise and a public sector use case perspective which I think is really unique from those that come into the space looking at decentralized finance and those types of uh, use cases. And so that's when I started working in central bank digital currency, 
joined AWS, uh, supporting Zhao Chen's team, and now support um, the greater Amazon. Great, yeah, and there's loads um, uh, we can kind of pick up on later in the podcast there. So, um, uh, Zhao Chen, just coming back to, to you for now, as I mentioned in my introduction, you recently took part in a panel discussion at Open Banking Expo Europe, um, all about central bank digital currencies. Now, we know a number of central banks are currently testing the design of and the technology behind CBDCs. So um, why have they begun exploring CBDCs? Yeah, this is a very important question. And uh, we have been, you know, having conversations and supporting many central banks worldwide in their CBDC journey. And according to many of our customers, and uh, they really exploring CBDC from very different uh, policy objective and also motivations. And uh, some central banks uh, exploring CBDC, um, seeing the fact that, uh, you know, there are declining of physical cash, then they need to really just uh, respond to that trend. And there are other central banks uh, and trying to address financial inclusion related challenge by creating a new infrastructure to enable innovation. And uh, there are some other central banks uh, which face some um, cross-border related payment challenges. CBDC for them is uh, one of the ways uh, to just, uh, you know, um, create uh, new, um, solutions to address that friction. And of course, there are also other central banks uh, trying to leverage CBDC to just, uh, you know, address the current uh, bigger problem uh, in the, you know, running the the the, the cash system that include uh, efficiency, including cost, uh, and, uh, and also other operational related challenges that they may face as of now. Yeah. And I think one of, one of the main points actually that came out of that discussion you had at the the Europe Expo uh, was that central banks around the world are, are really at quite different phases in their exploration of of a CBDC. Some have managed to process um, a CBDC much faster. We have seen some central banks to bring a kind of digital currency to market. Others are purely just researching and really haven't committed. To, to launching a CBDC of any kind. So why is this? Why are, they, why are central banks around the world at so many different stages? Yeah, and uh, to answer that question, and uh, there are a, a number of ways to address that. So one is to understand the, you know, the diversity of central banks uh, in the world. You know, some central banks have mandates uh, to issue a CBDC from beginning, and other central banks uh, may even don't have a mandate to issue a new legal tender. So then there's a policy-making process to authorize central banks to just really be able to moving forward, um, you know, in a long way to issue a CBDC. Then there are many, you know, policy questions, you know, coming back to my last answer, because each central bank enter into CBDC with different policy goals. And to answer, you know, many of the questions related to that policy objective, and then they do need to do a different type of POC pilot research. And for central banks who are trying to address a policy object, which is less sophisticated, 
potentially, you know, you can just do three to five or, or you know, a few more um, POC pilots. You get all your policy questions answered. You're able to bring policymakers, uh, you know, or, or, or lawmaking process uh, those, uh, you know, results with data. And then all the issues or questions are answered, then you are able to just move forward. For some of the policy objectives and which are just, you know, in nature are sophisticated, we take example of cross-border payments. And one central bank cannot really address a cross-border payment, you know, uh, use case where that you need to really work with multiple central banks across different different continent potentially, there's a lot of coordination, and then the use case, case itself also need you to involve a large number of, uh, you know, entities, which is, uh, you know, up beyond your border, and that's just a complicate uh, the POC pilot, and also, you know, the, 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 the process to even bring the data back to the process will take a much longer time. And of course, that's uh, when we look at the CBDC technologies and, and uh, you know, many times that they need to answer whether they need to just, you know, go uh, through a centralized database or a DLT system. And, uh, you know, within the DLT, whether they go to the public ledger or they go to the, you know, private ledger for each of the technology and then uh, and or solution design, you may create a different uh, market dynamic. And that market dynamic may really impact uh, your current uh, uh, existing financial system. How to just really incorporate that kind of insight in the design and then to really mitigate the risk. So as you can see, they are facing a lot of sophisticated um, questions that uh, you know they really need to just uh, working um, to to you know find answers to almost all these questions. And bring that back to the, you know, policy making, law making process. And uh, then let's just go to the next level. This, you know, of the certification of each political system. And then how much time does each system need to respond to the law making process? That's just, you know, make it such a, a, a diverse progress in terms of the CBDC uh, exploration globally. Yeah, I think that was was one of the points that that came up actually when you were speaking in Amsterdam for us about you know the fact that so many of these um, these kind of pilot projects, these um, exploratory projects are at, at various stages. You know, some some central banks are, are well ahead, or in, in fact, some have, have launched a CBDC. Others aren't aren't even exploring the possibility. So, Erica, I'm interested to to, to hear from you about prioritization of, of goals here and. Um, and why that that matters really, and and really how that impacts um, some of those design aspects of of a CBDC. Sure. Um, so as you two have both been mentioning, right, um, central banks have been pursuing CBDCs for different reasons. Um, they're moving at different speeds, and I think there's emerging evidence that the central banks that have clear needs and associated goals for CBDC have moved quicker. Um, and having prioritized goals eases design decisions, which then can result in faster system development. Um, so actually, last spring, we published a report with Oliver Wyman Forum, and it really discusses that tie between policy goals and design decisions. Um, so if we take an island nation, for example, 
Their goals typically revolve around creating better access to remote underserved populations. And the design decisions of those central banks, um, those tend to tend to the, be the ones that have launched, uh, really do match this goal, right? So in regards to, you know, developing the system, maintaining the system, they've shown really great progress in partnering with tech providers, um, as opposed to trying to hire needed talent and develop in-house. Uh, we also see them pursuing CBDC wallet wallet designs, right, that ease use for end users that both have identification and also those who might not have some kind of identification. And we see comfort with central banks holding more of end user data with, of course, privacy guardrails in place. So these kind of structured decisions of how the system will be built, maintained, wallet design, right, they all kind of match this goal of meeting this underserved population. Now, conversely, if you look at a central bank that's just looking at digital cash, we see completely different design choices, right? They're optimizing around privacy. They might even be adding in additional layers of intermediary intermediaries to obscure individual details um, from a central authority. And transactions might be monitored more at a wholesale level than at an individual transaction level. So you can already see differences in the design decisions based on kind of what they're aiming for. And then meanwhile, um, you know, as you mentioned, right, there's there's some central banks that might never launch. There's some that are kind of maybe a little bit stuck in that research period. And I think that's often because they have too many stated goals. Um, and then that leads to conflicting design criteria or they might be still searching for well, the problem they're solving. They just know that there's something there. Um, and of course, like any digital system, there's not going to be a stellar one size fits all solution. And so trying to meet um, too many goals or murky goals um, leads to design decisions being all just imperfect trade-offs. Um, and so having those clear, prioritized CBDC goals, right, is really the only way to achieve an optimized CBDC design. Otherwise, you'll just kind of end up in this uh, never-ending research stage. Yeah, that's a really good point. And, and um, that paper you mentioned, can you just tell us a little bit about sort of how that came about and, and any other of sort of the key findings from from that? Sure. Um, yes, it was a great collaboration with Oliver Wyman Forum. What we uh, were really able to do um, as a joint team was bring together the policy perspective, the goals, understanding um, kind of the central bank perspective, right? And then bring in the technology perspective from an AWS side and understand how which enabling technology could really best meet those goals. Um, and it was it was interesting to kind of parse out all the different types of design decisions that could be made to meet those goals. And so as we were looking at those, the ones that really came to the top that uh, would impact achieving a policy goal really came down to data, right? Data management, data storage, um, which ties very tightly in with privacy and controls around that. Um, a lot of it came up to, you know, who would be part of the creation and maintenance of the system? Was it going to be more centralized and controlled by the central bank itself? Would it include selected intermediaries? Might it be a little wider and include um, additional fintech providers, depending on the market. Um, and then it also included, again, that wallet design. So how do we make sure that maybe a less tech-savvy population could participate or an older generation could participate versus 
those uh, emerging nations that tend to have younger, more tech-savvy populations. So those were the types of technical design choices that we were looking at in how they impact the policy decisions. And I think the key point really was that it's it's not just one direction. You definitely want to start with the goals, have that impact the technical choices, but then you need to go back and look at those technical design choices to make sure that they still match the goals um, because uh, tech is amazing, but it isn't magic, right? So you can't just take goals and have the perfect tech to solve it, right? There are going to be those trade-offs. And really, that's where that prioritization comes into play is if you can't meet them all, what's the order in which you're going to aim to meet them? And so that was kind of the premise of the paper. And um, again, a really great collaboration between the policy and technical sides and expertise. Yeah, it sounds fascinating and, and addresses, as you say, some really vital, some really critical points there If if, you know, for any central banks that are not just looking at a CBDC, but with the intention of, of sort of, you know, launching a CBDC, really. Um, and changing tack a little bit, but um, I wanted to talk to you, Zhao Chen, about something that uh, this is more a kind of a, a government initiative in the UK, and, and it's to do with sort of open banking specifically. But I think it's potentially a really interesting open banking use case that involves sort of HM revenue and customs. So they collect taxes um, here in the UK, um, better known as HMRC. They've implemented open banking payments to help individuals pay their taxes. Um, it's generally been deemed a, a real success. You know, an open banking use case like this, can this be replicated in, in other countries, do you think? And and, and will something like that, will we, will we see it elsewhere in the world? Definitely, yes. And uh, I will not comment on the, the, the specific case, but just in general and uh, leveraging, you know, open banking or CBDC to deliver service to the citizen. Those are, you know, the type of good use case for innovation. And where that's, uh, you know, when you talk about the, the, tax agency and or, or collect, collect the tax and also, you know, if during COVID, for example, the public sector want to also provide uh, um, support to the citizens. And I think uh, through open banking or through um, CBDC related innovation and then to just uh, really to to provide a service through touchless um Technology and I think that itself uh, is uh, innovative and also cost effective, and uh, many times that can just directly address uh, the pain points within the service provision model or service delivery model. With that's uh, you know we are experiencing today, and uh, you know um, definitely I think uh, again that uh, um, can be a very good uh, potential use case in in other countries. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And and Erica, I'm interested to hear from you about some of the key sort of global trends that you're you're following and, and monitoring at Amazon and 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 how public sector financial institutions are kind of innovating around some of these perhaps. Sure. Um so, you know, given my web three focus um and title, right? Um the primary digital trend that I'm following is digital assets. Um, and essentially, blockchain technology allows for the digital representation of a wide, wide variety of assets. Um, and so this ubiquity of use has led to really great uh, innovation. 
but it is also a clear challenge, right, to regulatory bodies. And in the wake of recent news headlines, which I won't comment on, um, there is definitely an urgency to develop and enforce regulations in this space. And so, right, so as we look at digital assets, um, sometimes, right, we call them tokens or non-fungible tokens, NFTs. Uh, they can represent simple things, you know, a collectible item that may not need uh, regulatory body oversight, right? So, you know, it's it's just a, a, a typical good. Um, but it can also represent things like partial ownership of a company or real estate or future revenue streams. And these types of uh, tokens um, require very different regulation. And so with these types of assets kind of living commingled in this new digital asset space, um, it can be very difficult for regulators to balance that protecting customers and financial system stability, while, of course, still encouraging innovation. And so our our formal fight, the formal, sorry, formal financial sector has plenty of guardrails to protect customers when an asset is clearly financial in nature. Um, but fraudulent behavior has proliferated, uh, sadly, in the digital asset space, due in part to that lack of clarity of what these digital assets represent, um, also due in part to lack of that regulation. And then, of course, we have one too many, many too many bad actors. Um, so that's the trend that I'm I'm watching, right? Because I think as the technology matures, the regulation matures, uh, the use cases, the viable use cases are really going to come to light um, and the financial sector is going to um, adapt as well as uh, innovate on top of. Right. So I still have a lot of enthusiasm for this technology. Um, and I look at similar technology that's had uh, similar challenges, um, you know, emails and texts. There's all kinds of scams that are proliferated on those channels, but we still embody or embed that technology into our lives. So. Um, again, as regulators start needing to provide structure, um, they'll be diving into their own use cases for the technology. Ones I tend to like to look uh, to watch actually um, kind of references your previous question about tax. So integration into tax systems um, and not only kind of retail tax for maybe a CBDC perspective, but also import taxes so tariffs. Um, I'm looking at digital identity, right? So um, financial inclusion, lack of identity is a common blocker. So how can we leverage um, a digital asset that could represent um, your identity from, you know, uh, not only, you know, who you are and where you were born, but things like educational credentials, health uh, information, uh, professional credentials. So really embody kind of the different aspects of a digital identity um, and then, you know, we mentioned the the pandemic. And so, you know, vaccination records, those types of things all are types of digital assets that can be propelled by this technology. And the uh, financial sector, I think, is going to help kind of separate out the hype from the valid use cases. And hopefully after what has happened, we'll start seeing a lot more um, focus on those uh, truly valuable use cases. So, uh, Erica, I just want to ask you about, I guess, the representation of women, really, in the CBDC and open banking community. You know, we've seen a number of women who uh, who are in leadership roles in these spaces and, and are kind of helping to reinvent the future of finance. At Open Banking Expo, we've actually recently launched a Women in Open Banking initiative to kind of champion uh, more females in, in the sector, really. 
So what's your advice maybe for young girls who hope to to take a kind of path down this route into into the tech space, whether it is sort of open banking or open finance or kind of down the digital assets, CBDC route? What are your, what's your kind of message to them? I love this question. And I think sometimes the importance of repu- uh, representation is lost when we just make it sound like we need to be there. We need, rep- you know, to have our numbers, right? And I think my message is really understanding why, like, why does representation matter? And I, and I, so I would, I would say that, you know, the solutions, the product services, financial or not, right, all around us reflect the people or group that designed it. And so with this huge financial gap that still exists between men and women, right, bridging this gap requires women and girls to, even girls, right, all ages, uh, helping shape the solutions um, that are in our lives. And also to understand that our unique perspective is really valuable, right? So we often tend to maybe avoid joining these uh, particular streams of work because we underestimate what we feel is an opinion. Um, but beyond opinions, what we have are, are valid judgments that are based on our experience as women. And it is a proven fact, right, that we as women can force multiply the impact of solutions by participating in their design as well as uh, using them after they're out in the market. And so for those girls that think maybe tech is not for them, uh, the truth is that tech is every business now um, and technical degrees open up the door to any field um, that you want to participate in. So right, I started off as an electrical engineer designing circuit boards. I never expected to be meeting with central bankers uh, or micro entrepreneurs in rural Africa. Um, so if you're just not sure where you want to go, uh, but you want to make the world a better place, you want to make an impact, uh, you just want options to be anything you want to be, um, the technical fields are a great way to do that. Um, there's a lot of support from other women who have forged the past before them. Um, and more importantly, we just need you to be in this with us. So uh, please join. Yeah, I think that's a that's a really good message there. And um, Zhao Chen, anything you you wanted to to add on on that particular kind of question? Yeah, absolutely. I think in general that's uh, you know global problems need a global participation, and uh, we are facing you know in the financial sector we are facing many of the global problems. You know, inclusion. And, uh, you know, how to make the financial system green, sustainable, and how to just, uh, you know, having the right uh, service to be delivered to right right people. And uh, a few years ago, I participated in uh, United Nations Secretary General's Global um, uh, Task Force for uh, Financing SDG. And uh, the final report of that is called, uh, you know, People's Money. And uh, if... Uh, People is in the center of financing SDG, and the people are composed of you know diverse backgrounds. You know, gender is one lens, uh, age and the sexuality, and all that. And so, if you know all this diverse perspective are not being represented uh, in you know forming the problem and also informing the uh, solution, and then we may not be able to really you know, address uh, the problem um, 
sufficiently and effectively. And also, there are a lot of missing opportunities, as what uh, Erica mentioned, that uh, women perspectives are valid and also unique. And uh, by you know having women girls join in the you know discussion and uh, taking up the technical roles. Uh, and also to you know help to shape help to shape the global agenda and then global solutions. I think that itself is part of the 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 you know solution itself, and that is uh, extremely important. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, look, just um, a, a couple more questions for you both, Erica. Just wanted to find out from you, really, what are the main challenges when we're talking about sort of public sector financial institutions? you know, innovating, yeah, what, what what barriers and challenges do they come up against? Yeah, um, so I think three come to mind fairly easily. Uh, the first rates relates back to kind of my comment on central banks uh, working with tech providers. Um, and this is because uh, they tend not to be building organizations, right? So they're not typically out there building technical systems. And so they lack that technical expertise, particularly in new technologies, Right. So that's limited within the banks. Um, and they also need best practices in that space to ensure that um, systems are, you know, secure, resilient, uh, and can meet really the the modern uh, challenges that these systems uh, will have to contend with. And so all of that is needed to really continually innovate as well as, you know, uh, wider representation in in that uh, in those organizations. Um, so a, a second is really um, gap to uh, data-driven insights, right? So data is is uh, powerful. Um, and so this can be a gap just from not collecting needed data in the first place, um, but it can also result from data living partic- uh, maybe in different silos, lack of analytical tools to bring that data together into insights. Um, and then as we look at, you know, digital asset supervision in particular, that's going to need a whole new set of supervisory tools and technical uh, uh, oversight that includes advanced analytics data storage. So that's kind of that second piece around data. Um, And I think the third is really around the fact that central banks tend to work in silos, right? We have clear exceptions with joint BIS initiatives, um, but there's just so much value in sharing lessons learned amongst central banks to avoid repeating mistakes, to get gain those hard lessons learned and identify those new opportunities for innovation. Um, so, you know, bringing together uh, better collaboration between the banks, um, ensuring they have the right expertise and representation to build those systems and having kind of the data and insight layer underneath are kind of the the three challenges I think that uh, are are hindering innovation. Yeah, and then Zhao Chen, how is AWS kind of helping to solve some of those those challenges? Um, you know, how how are you working with some of those those customers that Erica has mentioned? Yeah, definitely. I think um, from all problems that Erica have identified, and we have some programs or existing works in supporting central bank financial regulators. And, uh, you know, one type of challenge around, you know, technical knowledge and the human capital. And then as uh, Eric mentioned, that's, uh, you know, typically central banks are not builders. And uh, inside of organizations, uh, there are need, uh, you know, to have more uh, technical folks uh, who, you know, have uh, the the most uh, 
um, cutting edge technology and then can or able to just engage with the lenders properly and also to just, you know, have internal capability to build. That itself, you know, AWS is uh, providing a lot of the training certification and to upscale many of the, the, the workforce, including the central banks. And that itself is a very important for mission for us. And then from the innovation methodology piece, again, you know, by not being a builder and, uh, you know, definitely uh, how to just uh, apply innovation methodology itself in solving all the, the problem itself is, is a, 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 a failure. So then AWS or Amazon have the working backward approach where that's, you know, this is the secret sauce for Amazon's success for AWS success. And then we are working with central banks to, you know, bring our working backward approach and process and to central banks, helping them to just translate their business, you know, line of business problem into solutions which can solve their problems. And in terms of, you know, the data tooling gaps and we're working with many partners to just, you know, building different, um, data solutions and one example is our uh, Amazon uh, or AWS uh, uh, data exchange where that's you know if for researchers in the central banks who face the challenge to just uh, you know bring multiple sources of data into one place and then they can just uh, uh, to to using the data to just create or generate the right results, uh, putting into the right models, all that, and then we 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 through the uh, AWS data exchange, then they can really just uh, you know solving the problem of uh, procurement and, and and other related challenge. And once that you know they have uh, those data are being stored in one single place, and then they can also you know leverage the AI machine learning and also other type of uh, tooling that we provide so then they can just really create their smart decision making tools for them to just uh, you know do better decision and in terms of the best practice we have well architected framework and then different pillars and then recently we launched our sustainable pillar and then to make you know help them to not only solve the more technical development related problem but also you know if the central banks want to take out the sustainability related uh, challenge and then you know how they can just follow the uh raw architect framework making their you know uh software development related work uh, be sustainable and then we have our best practice there we're also you know having uh, uh AWS solution library and which host many of the solutions and which make it easy for central banks and financial regulators to find the right partners right AWS solutions in meeting their challenge Last but not least, as the ecosystem piece, and then we are facilitating many of the central banks to just you know having lesson learn and, and uh, you know peer assist the learning process. And one example is that uh, last year that we organized the, the Caribbean CBDC workshop, where that's um, in collaboration with uh, uh, Haiti Central Central Bank. That's uh, we brought, uh, you know, many of the central bank from Caribbean and learn from Caribbean, other central bank from Caribbean, but also from other central bank worldwide. Then they can just uh, get their, you know, questions answered and, and, and also just try to avoid potential mistakes uh, or, uh, you know, from other central banks uh, when they are implementing the similar project or, or 
go, uh, you know, uh, go about their innovation uh, process. So we continue this kind of, uh, you know, uh, peer assisted learning process and then organize uh, workshops, organize the events. And the one good value of that is AWS Summit. And we welcome, you know, all the central bank customers to join the AWS event uh, summit. And then those summits where that you can meet with the developers and the AI machine learning, you know, experts and also other, you know, um, similar organizations and really just, you know, learn from each other and, and share, you know, what worked for you, what for, for them. And then those kind of learning will be very important to informing them in their, you know, 2023 and, and above the implementation process. Well, Luxao um, Chen and Erica, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast, for answering all my questions. And it's great to hear what you're doing, obviously, at, at AWS and, and Amazon, respectively, in, in, the, in this area of CBDC, digital assets, and, and, and really, you know, collaborating, bringing, bringing people together, I guess. Um, so thanks. Thanks very much to you both. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Thank you. My thanks again to Erica and Zhao Chen from Amazon and AWS, respectively, for joining me on the podcast today. I mentioned during the conversation with them about the Open Banking Expo uh, Women in Open Banking Initiative. Uh, we've partnered with American Express on that. And you can find out more about the initiative um, uh, and how to kind of be involved with it on the Women in Open Banking tab, which is on the openbankingexpo.com website at the very top of the page there. Um, until next time, goodbye for now.